Hi, I'm Dr. Judy, and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, fulfillment, and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. I am so pumped about my guest today. She's won two Emmy Awards and a Grammy Award. She's a multi-platinum recording artist, a world-renowned choreographer, and an all-around icon, and I'm a super fan. Today, she's here to straight up now tell me all about staying fierce and fabulous in her 50s. Welcome, Paula Abdul. Yay! Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Well, Paula, I have so many personal stories about you. I have your first two albums on cassette tape. Love it. And you really did shepherd me through some difficult times with those first loves, you know, in elementary school and junior high. I had more cold-hearted stories. Haven't we all? (laughs) Especially in the beginning. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And actually, this is kind of an embarrassing story. I try to see if my parents had the video, but they don't. But um, when I was in fifth or sixth grade, me and a bunch of my friends for the talent show at school choreographed our own version of Straight Up. I love it. It was awful, but but it was meant to be a tribute to you. (laughs) It gives me so much joy to hear these stories. There are so many girls and guys they've come up to me saying you know I did a whole video with my hairbrush and as a (laughs) microphone and or a water bottle and yeah I love it yeah I love it no I mean again I still run to your music every week and so yes every week and I actually I'm running down the beach and I'm singing straight up all the time. I still know all of the lyrics. And I don't care if people think I'm crazy. I love singing and running at the same time. That's great. And it's great cardiovascular strength. Right? Mm -hmm. And then you kind of develop your singing voice too. Uh, So I have so many questions for you. But first of all, congratulations on such a successful residency in Vegas. Thank you so much. so cool. And I just think that the way that you attacked that performance, I mean, not only did you provide an amazing visual and auditory spectacle for everyone, but you also had a softer side to it because you shared stories as part of your show. I did. I mean, what I'm so grateful for is to have an outlet and a stage like in Las Vegas that I can keep it more intimate and I don't have to be on a tour bus and I'm able to just really connect with the audience and and make it... Um, a multi-dimensional type of show where, mm-hmm. yes, you're going to get the hits and, yes, there's going to be incredible choreography and dancers, but also that I get to tell my story of how I became me and the trials and tribulations and and the, you know, cool stories of me growing up and and deciding to get into this crazy business. Yeah, absolutely. What's one of your favorite stories from the show that you created? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, <laughs> how I ever even, I knew what my calling was when I was four years old, um, mm. because that's when my family, we all sat down and watched the MGM musical Singing in the Rain. And <laughs> it's where I saw the, the amazing Gene Kelly. And that changed my life. And I was mesmerized. I walked up to the television set. I said, that's my dad to Gene Kelly. And my father said, no, <laughs> I'm your father. That could be your TV dad. Right. And I kissed the TV set. And I apparently stood in front of the TV and wouldn't move, and I kept dancing. And I knew that's what I wanted to be and wow. what I wanted to do. That's so amazing. That's really cool. Um, one of the things that I thought was so amazing, too, was I watched your Billboard Music Awards performance, and I 
audibly gasped when I saw you jump from basically a second story height into the arms of, I don't know, was it like 10 guys? Yes. I mean, anytime <laughs> you're going to jump into the arms of 10 guys, it's pretty good. I mean, yeah. Pretty, I, yeah. Pretty cool. I mean, obviously, that's a great piece of choreography. But they were more scared than I was. People seemed scared. I mean, because they panned to the audience and people were yelling and screaming and they had their hands up to their mouth like this. And you should have seen me like trying to explain to my dancers, don't worry, you are going to catch me. There's no other alternative. So you had to reassure them. Yes, and I'd start like three steps up on the ladder. So I literally was waist level to their arms, just trying. And then I'd step up one more step, one more step, until I got to 12 feet. And then it was like they were more shocked. And then now it's like they toss me around like a rag doll. Yeah, um, now they're used to it. You've yeah. completely conditioned them, so they're ready for anything now. I kind of want to go back to the beginning when you became a Laker girl. So I grew up for junior high, during junior high and high school, I grew up in Los Angeles. So I know what it means to be a Laker girl. But I love the story of how you became a Laker girl. Can you tell us about that? Sure. It's it's all starts from, uh, you know, I always knew what time of day it was. I knew what I was up against. I never was the obvious choice, especially for the stereotype of what a, a cheerleader looks like. Mm. But all of my girlfriends who are like five foot seven upwards to six feet who taught dance in cheerleading camps with me, they wanted me to come to the auditions. They said, come with us, you know? Mm-hmm. And as they would tell me that, they'd be looking down at me because I was <laughs> here and they were up here. And I'd look up at them and say, I really, I don't fit the mold. And they said, but come on, you can you, you can do it. Just just come on. I figured, what the hell do I have to lose? And so we carpooled, uh, got down to the forum. There were close to a couple thousand girls. I was number 742. Oh my gosh. I put my number on and I was with my leg warmers and my leotard, and I was on my toes balancing, <laughs> and I got cut before I could even dance. Wait, so they didn't even let you they dance? They didn't even let me dance. That was like so typecasting. And then wow. two of the other girls got cut. There were two girls left, and I decided I was gonna go into the bathroom because I was smart enough to bring a bag of other other leotards and tights. <laughs> so I figured, what the heck? I went in the bathroom, I pulled out another leotard, Paratites, leg warmers, and I. This time, I put my hair in a ponytail, and I entered as my middle name Julie, and I spelled my last name Abel A B B A L. <laughs> and I went out there, and I, the two girls that that were cut were pissed at me, and the uh-huh. two girls that were remaining on the floor were pissed at me. Right, like, and they're like, "It's not fair. You're, it's not. You're, that's not how the rules go." And I'm like, "There are no rules." Right, right. And really, that's that's probably the key. Of, of my success is, you know, as a little girl, my dad used to say, God damn it, get over here. You're an adult. You can do whatever you want to do. Remember that. And remember, if someone says no, it's just the beginning of a negotiation. I love that. That's what my dad taught me. That is such a good mantra to live by. Especially like, you know, I was born three months premature. I weighed 2.8 pounds. I had such bad hip dysplasia. I had turned in hips and you know for dancing you have, to have oh. you need turned out wow. so I learned how to figure out my own way thank God for mm-hmm. Bob Fosse who had mm-hmm. a turned in style of being neutral and created such a funky like he was one of my idols as a, as a dancer choreographer besides Gene Kelly mm-hmm. and so I 
started developing my own style that allowed me to bypass the turnout and the ballet. I mean, I I love ballet, but my body certainly didn't. Right. I would be the kid who would be on the stairs in the splits, like with weights on my ankles, trying to get turnout <laughs> and, it, and doing my homework. It never worked, but I just, you know, I figured that why not? Why not just keep trying, Paula? What do you have to lose? And so yeah. when I went out this the second time, I, I got cut again. So did the other two girls. Now mm -hmm. all of us were cut. And I asked them to just hang for one more round because I had one last outfit. <laughs> and they told me, no, you take yeah. the bus They're home. They're so upset. They're, they've been rejected at this point. They're like, no we way, all Paula, were leaving. I just had a plan because <laughs> I knew that I wasn't the obvious choice. So I said, fine. And I went back into the bathroom and I pulled out the best leotard, like the Jane Fonda. Remember the red and white oh, chevron yes. stripe? Oh, yes. Okay. And I pulled out. Oh, you saved the best for last. I put blue leg warmers on, a blue headband. This time I put my hair half up and half down with a hair scrunchie that became a hair trend. Oh, great. And I entered as my first initial P, my middle initial J, and I spelled my last name Apple, A-P-P-L-E. Perfect. I went out there. Oh, another pseudonym. <laughs> and the third time was the charm. I I. I got wow. selected, and that taught me that, you know, my dad's right, and I'm so proud of myself for having the courage to just do that, and um, my dad also said, if it's not written in the rules, it's, there are no rules right. to what you're doing, and so it just, that carried on with me, and like, right when I became a Laker girl, I never knew that that would be the foray into the entertainment business, mm -hmm. but I, I immediately became the head Laker girl and choreographer. Mm -hmm. And who knew that there were so many record executives and so many celebrities that were season ticket holders, and I was discovered by the Jacksons. Well, I love that story because if that's not grit, what is, right? I mean, you were rejected twice, and you still said, I'm going in there because I belong there. Well, I had one last outfit. I figured what <laughs> You're like, why not? Yeah. I brought it. But the fact is you went prepared. You were prepared in some ways to fail. Yeah. And that's why you brought the bag. Yeah, because you know what? I always knew that, you know, I'm the underdog. I, I knew at a young age just trying to, you know, I had collapsed lungs and a broken windpipe when I was born. So wow. the first two and a half years of my life was spent mostly f passed out because I didn't have the breath control when I inhaled a cry. Mm -hmm. So like everything that doesn't make sense, I didn't have the body ability to become a dancer or a choreographer, nor did I have the lung capacity to become a singer. But, you know, when you're tenacious and when you have that, you know, never give up attitude, and even when I feel like I want to give up, there's something inside of me that just says, get your ass up. Yeah. You know, because yeah. the odds become in your favor if you keep suiting up yeah. and facing what the worst thing is going to be, you get rejected. So what? Right. You go back out and you try again. And I feel like a lot of people these days, they are afraid of rejection. And sometimes they don't even step forward. And certainly once they step forward, if they do get rejected a first time, it's kind of their last time. And then that's the narrative they remember. So I love Cirque du Soleil shows too. And I heard that the circus performers, if they don't land a trick, they loop the music and they make them do it again. And I remember reading in an interview, one of the circus performers saying, oh, that's not just for the audience, because sometimes the audience doesn't even know or they don't care, they forget it five minutes later. That's for the performers because they can then remember that the last memory is success. And 
for me, that it, that rings so true. It, I mean, I'm jumping all around, but even when I got to be a judge on American Idol, the spirit and psyche of performers are unlike any other being. Mm -hmm. um, you can't start a critique with a negative. Mm -hmm. Because once you hear a negative, you're shut down. That's yeah. all you hear. You can't. Yeah. It's not effective to come back and go, but it wasn't that bad after mm -hmm. you've so, yeah. so <laughs> They're not like, even listening now. No, They've it, spaced right. out. They've dissociated. Exactly. So it's like for for an, an artist or, or someone who's aspiring to be, when you put yourself out there, it's important to be fair and honest with your critique. But I always say start with what you find as the positive so mm -hmm. that they have an opening to be receptive to what critique you're going to give them. I definitely saw you do that. Oh every Lord, I tried. You were judging. Oh, I you tried. You were doing the sandwich way. technique. Mm -hmm. I saw oh boy, it. no, yeah. it is important. It is. It, it is, especially on live television. And these, you know, these amazing, talented contestants. Yeah, they didn't know what this show was about. They weren't. They just thought they're they're going to go out there and do the best that they can. They didn't know they were going to be judged mm -hmm. publicly at times humiliated. Yeah. Hell, I didn't even know I was signing up for that either, by yeah. the way, as a judge. <laughs> but um, it's like, it, it just, it, to me, that's like becoming a, a really important teacher is by understanding the, the spirit and psyche of the people that you're trying to teach. Right. And you've lived that, you know, you lived that journey yourself. And what's so incredible is they almost rejected you. I mean, they actually did reject you twice. You finally get into the Laker Girls, and then you shoot up to stardom basically in the Laker Girls because you became the head choreographer almost immediately within I was a 17 year. and a half. That's crazy. I lied about my age. You had me 18. <laughs> I was, but I was turning 18 that year. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Just round up. And, and the one thing I, I've, I learned very early on is that I always believed in myself. But then there's always that sense of doubt. And I think the the common through line and thread with most artists are like they're all gonna find out we're frauds. You uh -huh, know, uh -huh. you know, it's like because yes. and there it that creeps in, but it's like, are you gonna rise above and and believe that you can and eventually you do. You jump in the deep end, you mm -hmm. don't know how to swim, but you figure it out. Yeah. And I remember when I was asked to do the come in and, and work with the Jacksons and do their huge victory tour, which was their first reunion tour with Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. I remember being at the forum after a game with my white Jeep Cherokee and I'd roll up the windows and I'd start crying going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm a fraud. <laughs> I'm going to find out I'm a fraud. You know, and that's how yeah. you feel until it's like, no, Paula, figure it out. Yeah. This is a beautiful opportunity. It's up to me now. Am I going to deliver? Yeah. And, you know, I had a lot of those situations at a very young age. How nerve-wracking, too, that you're supposed to teach the Jacksons oh, Out-of-body experience. Right? <laughs> I mean, it was like, man up, Paula. Right. That was like, back then, it's man up. That's what yeah. people would say. And no, now it's just show up. Show up. Show up. I feel like that's so relatable because if Paula Abdul had moments where she doubted herself— maybe everybody else doesn't feel so alone. Like everybody thinks that they're the only ones thinking that they might be frauds or they might be discovered, you know? Well, also the fact that it's different today with, with you know, the internet and, and social media and things going viral. And you can be like aspiring and 
overnight you can become that of what you only dreamt of becoming. Right. You know, when I was coming up, it was it was roll up your sleeves, mm-hmm. hit, hit the dirt, do the grind, step by step. You keep moving forward, and then you look back, and then you can't even see where you started, and things start happening, and and success comes from the hard work you put into it. And yeah. it's hard. I think I, I feel grateful that I started my career prior to the internet <laughs> because it's a whole other it's a world whole now. other world. It's brilliant and wonderful, but at the same time, it the the bullying and the yeah. I mean that t- that happens no matter what. But when when especially when American Idol started coming out and the kids are like seeing message boards. It was oh, called the message I boards. Those. Yes. It the be forums. Heart- heartbreaking for yes. them. And then I learned early on, I man, I know how to I know how to commit career suicide on my own. I don't need someone else <laughs> telling me how to do that. I mean I'm hard enough on myself. Yeah. So it was a real learning lesson. And also time that I spent with the contestants saying most of the stuff that they're saying mm-hmm. is none of your business. Yeah. They're attacking how you look, yeah. what you're wearing, what song you're singing, or this, that, and the other. Everyone has an opinion. But if you pay attention to that, you will never move forward. You will never be present to right. be the best you can be and give a performance of a lifetime. Right. And and that's, but that comes with wisdom and experience. It, it, it does. But you had a lot of it when you were young, to be fair, because you gave it your all at every single Lakers girl performance. You impressed everybody. You impressed Jerry Buss's son. He identified you as a superstar before you even became the superstar. And then, of course, you were discovered by the Jacksons because of your work as True, a Laker True, but I also had the blessing because... No one has had a career like how I started. Mm-hmm. I started behind the scenes, like, mm. uh, like you know, below the line crew, helping other artists mm. be iconic or continue their iconic stat- status or, or help young performers take flight. Like I learned, I was a sponge that was working with like prolific people and I, I would take in all the good if it didn't resonate with me. I squeeze out the sponge and let go of what doesn't feel organic to me. So I had the blessing of learning behind the scenes, mm-hmm. the amount of work it takes, yeah. the ups and downs that you go through, the adversity you climb over and put your suit of armor back on and show up again. And I felt very fortunate for that because it did give me a little bit of a head start in understanding mm-hmm. what rejection is like, mm-hmm. what, how other artists or superstars that you admire, how they handle it, right. being present when they're reading review, their own reviews. And, you know, I learned so much valuable information. Yeah. Well, you saw aspects of your future and you were able to kind of prepare for that. And even the most iconic people, they fall down sometimes. They make mistakes. They get rejected maybe a thousand times before they get to that icon status. And, you know, when I think about your icon status, I mean, there's so many elements of it, but of course, one of them is your brilliant choreography. I just love your choreography. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I don't think people even realize your choreography resume. I mean, there's just so many different things that you've done, so many amazing artists you've worked with. Obviously, we've been talking about the Jacksons. I want to get into some of these. But one of the things that I thought was so cool was that you 
actually choreographed the tribal dance in Coming to America, which is one of my favorite movies. And you did it at the time. You said yes before you really knew what you were doing. In fact, John Landis, the director, looked at you and basically chastised you for being a little girl because you were really young then still, too. I'll never forget him seeing me in the waiting room going, you're Abdul? I thought you were going to be like Debbie Allen or something. <laughs> and I, it was like, he almost didn't even want to see me. And it was like, it was... It was me saying, look, I'm willing to workshop dancers. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what do you know about African tribal dancing? I said, I know some some stuff about it. I was a <laughs> Jewish girl growing up in the valley. <laughs> I mean, what do I know? And, you know, there was no internet. I'd have to go to the library and, and look at periodicals. Wow. That's, you know, there was nothing I could pull reference from other than Watching old movies. Right. There was no internet nothing. index. I'm, there was no YouTube. I mean, YouTube <laughs> is one of the most valuable tools for yes. everybody. So true. But everybody doesn't have the due diligence in, in really studying the pioneers that paved the way and don't care about so much about the likes, how many likes. Mm -hmm. Study the, the people that, that forged the path, you know. Yeah. And, and for me, like, I can't even imagine if I had those tools. But with them coming to America, it was the craziest thing because I did workshop dancers and I proved to John Landis that I know what I'm doing. And I swear to God, <laughs> it was me looking at some old National Geographic, like like copying some moves that I saw in the magazines and mm -hmm. on TV. Or And then the rest of it was creating my own wow. street style around it. Right. And it's crazy that that dance has become the wedding dance, so iconic that that's what everyone refers to as African dancing. Right, right. But it's mixtures of cheerleading and, and jazz <laughs> dancing. And I mean, it's like, it it just was fun to be able to, and, and once I started proving myself, John Landis was like, you do what you want. And it was right. one, one to this day, still one of the longest amount of consistent dance footage on television. Yes, that was a really long, it's not the full routine, right? They didn't cut anything. It was everything there, that you choreographed. There were a couple of cuts, but okay. honest to God, that's a long, long. And and, yeah. and it was mainly like a drum loop. It wasn't like there were different textures of, oh, we're going to go into a bridge sounding area. Right. Now here comes the hook. No, nope. it wasn't like that. So it was really about being, you know, imaginative and I, that's one of the best projects I worked on. Wow. There's so many amazing people you've worked with. I mean, we've already talked about the Jacksons. You worked with Debbie Gibson, Luther Vandross. You worked with George Michael on his face tour. Um, just so many wonderful people. But really, I think you're credited with launching the unique dance style of Janet Jackson during her Control album. And, and I'm forever grateful because she was, she was a great student and a great teacher. And we just... We gelled together, and I'm so fortunate that I had the ability to be really creative uh, with her. And mm -hmm. I'll always credit her and, and always be humbled and grateful for her knocking down doors because she allowed me to work with her and the work itself. When you were working great. with her, did she start out a little bit more timid at first? When She's you were very to... shy. Interesting. But, it, but I'm shy, too. Like, we were both shy together, and we both spoke <laughs> very softly. And uh -huh. it, it, but she was like my little sister. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, who was 
maybe the favorite artist you've ever worked with? I know that's hard to say, but... For different reasons. I yeah. mean, I'll always say Janet's one of my favorites. The Jacksons were great. I love working with comedians. So mm. being at my first foray in, into television was being able to be the choreographer on the Tracy Ullman show. And working with Tracy Ullman as a brilliant comedian and, mm -hmm. and a physical comedian, I got to really um, be creative working with comedic actors and and how how they're so dedicated to even making the most uncomfortable movement committing to it you know i love working on that show working with um dan Aykroyd and tom hanks on the movie dragnet and creating a whole dance video for them <laughs> where they're dancing ridiculously but so in sync and so good and how proud i was of them and how proud they were of how they performed. Yeah. I've, I've even got to choreograph when it used to be SNL, the Spartans cheerleaders with mm -hmm. Will Ferrell and Sherry O'Terry. I've done, oh, love those I guys. did, I transformed Val Kilmer into uh, Jim Morrison for the Doors movie, yes. which is a whole different aspect. And working with, with Oliver Stone, who's, who's a historian and so meticulous, um, it was like, really, there's no choreography. Oh, yes, there is, because you are going to masterfully have Val turn into Jim Morrison and we are going mm -hmm. to recreate every stumble, every, every, <laughs> every body surfing, every, right. every, every movement. And as tedious as it was, it gave me such a profound respect for filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, it's a, obviously, like you just said, it's a whole other animal. It's really fun to work with all these different people in different parts of their career and walks of life. And then you were known first as a choreographer and dancer, but then you moved into being a singer. And I love the story of how you went to Jeff at Virgin Records and you're like, hey, I can sing too, you know. Well, here's what <laughs> happened. Um, I, Janet kept saying, come on, you can do this. And I, like, I always knew I'm a performer. Mm hmm I may not be the best dancer, not the best singer, but I know I'm a hell of a performer. And I knew that. I always believed that. Um, I was saving my money at, while I was still being a, a Laker girl and choreographer. I was secretly t spending the money that I saved up and making demos. And here's <laughs> was my plan. Okay, people that sit on the, on the floor at the forum, a lot of them are presidents of record labels. And right. like I literally sat at the feet of Irving Azoff, who was – one of the biggest label heads at the time, um, uh, MCA, Universal. And I, since he would kick me all the time, I figured I'm going to approach him. <laughs> Before I could ask for a meeting with him, I was approached by two of my favorite A&R presidents, mm -hmm. uh, managing presidents. And one of them was at A&M, which was Jordan. And one of them was the president of Warner Brothers, which was Jeff. And they, I was doing a video in New York for Duran Duran, mm -hmm. and I actually discovered Christy Turlington and made her the lead girl in their video, and that launched her whole oh, that's modeling. So she cool. was the most gorgeous, unique beauty. Mm -hmm. um, and the guys said, look, you're going to pick models and have model calls. And I just kept coming back to this one girl I kept seeing outside of the building. And um, <laughs> while I was there choreographing Duran Duran, I was invited out to dinner with my two favorite people, mm -hmm. Jordan and Jeff from, right. from A&M and from Warner Brothers. And that night, they took me to a restaurant called Indochine, and they asked me if I was interested. Do I sing? Am I, 
you know, they wanted to see if there was any spark interest mm. because they told me that they're leaving their respective companies and for forming Virgin Records America. Wow. And that's how it all started. Wow. And I actually had two song demos in my purse. You were ready. I was ready. You were always ready. Well, you know what? The gym bag for the Laker Girls auditions and now this, you know, you just have your demo that you recorded yourself. And that that's, you know, I got signed to it a very eclectic, artsy company where I was told, all right, listen, Paula. Virgin Records was on Sunset and Doheny, a studio apartment. It was, all right, Paula, we are an artsy, eclectic company. Maybe we'll form a dance label for you. But, you know, <laughs> they, they, they signed Warren Zevon. Uh-huh. They signed Roy Orbison, who, genius, and unfortunately he passed away the year he was signed. And they signed Steve Winwood, mm-hmm. brilliant. And... um a group called The Cutting Crew. And let's see what she does. And literally, I mean, I literally was given almost zero budget. You felt like you were the afterthought at that time. I was, but you know what? I was used to it. It didn't matter. Right, you're like, cool. It's I fine. was like, here's an opportunity. I'm not going to tell anybody I'm doing it. God forbid I lose my day job. Right, right. Um, Kept it a secret. Only my family and my two best friends knew. And I mean, that whole, that whole adventure was incredible. Incredible. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I thought it was going to be dropped from the label because because back then they were marketing me as a black artist, black music. Mm. And um, my like my very first song I recorded was with L.A. and Babyface. And it was me who got L.A. and Babyface their first publishing deal with oh, cool. Virgin Music. Aww. They got more money than I did. Um, it was brilliant. Um, and I was choreographing Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks mm-hmm. for the Dragnet video. And during our rehearsal, this R&B group, group came in, and they were looking, and they asked all three of us for our autographs. I was just a choreographer at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And they said, they said, come into our studio when you're done rehearsing. And I did, and they introduced themselves to me. They're the deal. I said, oh, you have that ballad uh-huh. on two occasions. And they said, yeah, it's going to go number one on the black charts. I said, that's fantastic. They go, well, maybe we can afford you one day when we become big to choreograph us. And I said, listen, nobody knows this, but I'm, gonna, I'm being signed to Virgin Records. Mm. How about I will choreograph for you, and you guys maybe write a song for me. Right. And the next day during rehearsals, Again, with Tom Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd, two of them came up to me and said, listen, I'm L.A. Antonio Reed, and I'm Kenneth Babyface Edmonds. We're going to concentrate on becoming producer-songwriters, and we'd love to write a song for you. Oh. That's how it started. Wow. And the rest is history. Well, you have so many great relationships with other artists, other writers, and in fact, you kind of launched a career of a very important writer, the writer of... Straight up, yes. Elliot Wolf, and actually, your mom received the demo. Your mom's a musician. I mean, obviously, she has great taste, and she laughed at it. She said, "This is junk," it and she threw it worst. in the trash. It was the worst. My mother worked for one of the most prolific, uh, genius um, filmmakers of the golden era. His name is Billy Wilder. Mm-hmm. Every everybody in the business bows down to Billy Wilder. And my mom worked with him as his personal assistant for the last 12 years of his career. Mm. And all I ever wanted to do as a kid was meet Billy Wilder. And my mom would say, no, you're a cheerleader. 
Yeah. It wasn't until I proved myself becoming a successful choreographer that Billy Wilder wanted to meet me. That's amazing. And he started mentoring me to become a director. That was That's a natural progression for choreographers. I was so excited about that. Mm -hmm. And then God had a, another plan, and I was signed by Virgin Records. And thank God my mother was consoling and commiserating with Billy Wilder <laughs> in the in the office saying, I can't believe my daughter. I like, we'll put a pin in it. She'll come back. Right. She, she's gonna make a stupid record. Yep. Well, thank God she said that because my mom's assistant overheard my mom and said, Miss Abdul, my boyfriend's an aspiring songwriter and producer. Can I submit a demo for Paula? And my mom said, well, who is he written for? She said, no one. no one. He's studying to be a nuclear physicist. Oh, yes. I love that story. And I'll never forget, my mom called me hysterically laughing, asking me if I was coming over for dinner still, because every Thursday I'd have dinner with her. And she said, I don't know what I'm going to tell my assistant tomorrow, because her boyfriend submitted a song for you as the worst sounding piece of crap I've ever heard. Like she was laughing. <laughs> and I came over and she played it for me. It was an eight track demo mm -hmm. of someone plunking on their computer, yep. singing terrible quality, com singing completely off key, like notes you've never heard of. <laughs> and we were laughing and crying, and my mom threw it in the trash. And a couple seconds later, I dug it out of the trash and said, there's something really cool about this. And my mom looked at me like I was crazy. Because my mom was a was a, a savant, music savant. She was, she self-taught herself play, to play music, play the piano by ear. She became very famous in Canada as, you know, in the Philharmonics and on radio. She's brilliant. Um, and she's she's cringing at it, and I'm laughing. I go, but there's something there. She goes, you can't play that for, right. for for she's like, I can't hear it again. <laughs> and, and and I didn't have time to demo it because I was it was like a deadline was coming up on my album. But I went in and I played it for Jeff and Jordan, and I they were laughing, saying this is crazy. I said, please. Please, I'm coming in on budget right. from the from the amount of money that was given to make right. my album, and they allowed me to. And they only said that they were committing only two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars to produce an entire track. Wow! And back then, you could not get a notable producer to produce a track for less than a hundred grand, mm -hmm. seventy five to hundred grand. And here, I meet Elliot Wolf. I'm expecting this R and B guy, and I meet him, and he's very slight, thin, red frizzy hair, <laughs> Coke bottle glasses. Like he looked like a cross a between Spielberg and Woody <laughs> Allen. And I'm going, and very quiet, soft-spoken. And we recorded straight up in his shower. In his shower? To take advantage of the- 2000, no, no, no. <laughs> no? Okay. 2000 or $2,500 doesn't get you studio time. No, no, no. It didn't. You get your shower time. So I recorded it in the shower- and at his apartment, at his at his studio at apartment, his studio apartment, the same apartment building that on another floor, Ellie and Babyface were roommates in. Oh, that's funny! It's crazy. Wow. And so, and thank God, everything ended up okay because the first like hundred thousand albums that were printed that weren't selling, you could hear in the master recordings of Strip, you can hear someone next door going knocking, saying, "Shut up." I, I had to wait until the the miracle that 100,000 albums were sold and we mm -hmm. got to reprint them. But I'm telling you, it's oh, like wow. 
the funniest stories. That's amazing. That's so great, though, that it still made it into the record. And it sold 100,000 copies before and, you re-recorded and it. And then I turned straight up into to Virgin, and Jeff and Jordan went, eh, it's okay. It's a B-side at best. I said, well, that's great, because he wrote me another song called Cold-Hearted Snake. Oh, my gosh. And I think he got five to $7,000 for that one. Wow. A raise, but, a raise. But both of us changed the trajectory of each other's lives. Oh, yeah. I mean, Forever Your Girl, that album sold over 18 million copies, maybe and more. 18 million. And then when I decided that I wanted to give a gift to Gene Kelly because I had a song, Opposites Attract, mm -hmm. and I already knew I wanted to create an anime character that I could dance with, just like how Gene danced with the mouse. Yes. And, and I... I thought I could give it to him as a gift. Mm. And I asked the record label, and they said, absolutely not. <laughs> we got, you have six singles out on radio, which was unheard of. Right. And I broke the record for a debut female artist to have four consecutive number ones. It was like, it was oversaturation almost with Paula, the name Paula Abdul and my songs being on radio. Right. So I said, no, 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 not as a seventh single. But I just want to do a long-form video and give it as a gift. Please let me do this. I mean... Mm. I, the reason I'm here today is because of this man. They said, do it on the next album. And I was like, adamant, no, I've got opposites attract on this one. No is the beginning of, of a negotiation. negotiation. <laughs> Needless to say, they totally were on board. They they loved the, what, the product that came out of it. And they decided to release it as a seventh single. Oh. And that went from 18 million, sold 8 million more records. Wow. So it was like I had the longest run of, of an album being being in the top 10 for the longest period of time yeah. on Billboard. It was crazy. That was incredible. But, you know. And it's such a cool full circle story because then you honored Gene Kelly with this I gave, choreography. So I gave yes. him Opposites Attract, dedicated to him. Two days later, my dream came true. Gene Kelly reached out to me through his agent and invited me over to have tea with him. And he goes, when would you like to come over? I said, how about tomorrow? Were you freaking out? I was dying. Yeah. I was dying. I mean, like <laughs> literally like so giddy. And I remember it was the like dead heat of summer. And he lived in Beverly Hills on Rodeo Drive. And I remember I showed up. I got there so early. Like there was 45 minutes left. And I kept like circling around. So like <laughs> then I, finally I, I was like, okay, I got 18 minutes left. Right. And I'm in my car with the air conditioning going. And he... I hear a slap on my car, and he goes, I've seen you going around and around. You want to just come in? <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> it's, and, you know, it's like the initial shock and, like, disbelief that I'm meeting my the man I idolized. Yeah. It was so nerve-wracking. father. <laughs> so nerve-wracking. I was stumbling over everywhere. Nothing I was saying made any sense. Once we got past the awkwardness, it was as if we were two, like, dancers and performers just questioning each other about choices and and techniques. And it was incredible, incredible. Oh. And I'll never forget that first time I, I said, you know, I've, I said, my dream, he goes, what, what do you want to do next? I said, well, I want to I try directing. I go, you've always inspired me. I, I, I was at the beginning of going to be mentored by Billy Wilder. And he said, are you kidding me? I said, no. And he said, because one of the most exciting career abilities for me was to become a director mm -hmm. and and show how camera can can make dance come alive. And so it was crazy. I said, 
I go, what I'd love to do is somehow dance next to you. I said, I just did a successful Coca-Cola campaign for Diet Coke, and I did a commercial with Elton John, and they they superimposed like iconic people, mm-hmm. like you know, like Louis Armstrong and and Cary Grant, and and I said, I go, I just have a feeling I might get a chance to do a dance commercial. Mm-hmm. And later that night, he left me a message saying, are you a Wiccan? And I had never heard the expression, a Wiccan. And I'm looking up, <laughs> which? I'm not. A w-. And he yeah. goes, I can't believe this, but just hours after you left, I got a call from a, an advertising agency that represents Coca-Cola. They wanted to do Paul Abdul dance and asked me if I would give the, let my, the estate of my work that you could dance with me. And I swear to God, you put it out there. Not always does everything work out, but you got to believe in it. Yeah. Like a child believes in Santa Claus. Yes. That was the craziest experience. And I got to go over to his house and he was my teacher and mentor. And because it was it, during scenes in Anchors Away and during mm-hmm. scenes where, where um, in, in films where he was doing it with um, Frank Sinatra. And Frank Sinatra was going to be removed and I was being placed in to the footage. Wow. It was really groundbreaking wow. filming. And he would have a, he'd sit on the piano with a, a stick and he'd go, Paula, <laughs> on the and count of three and four, Francis <laughs> looked to the left and we winked at each other for that and count and keep dancing. And he goes, do it again. And he stopped, uh-uh, again. Wow. Uh, and yep. like my dream of life came true. Oh, and he, You were happy that he was a drill sergeant. You were like, of course, yes, I live I'm for, learning from I you. I live for drill sergeants. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm very kind and, and patient and respectful to the, the talented people that that surround me. And it's the sum of all parts. But I'm also a stickler when I'm when I'm choreographing. Because yeah. I'm like it, I'm a stickler for cleanliness, and like if oh, I could, yeah. I have eyes in the back of my head. <laughs> yep, yep. You gotta make sure everything's on on count. Everybody's in step. Everybody's doing the same angles. All of that good stuff. But I just love your story about Gene Kelly because you guys became friends. You were the last two and a half years of his life. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty incredible. That's so beautiful, and it's gratitude. If yeah. You walk in gratitude. It's like that miracle happened. Yeah, yeah, and you were really just doing a tribute for him. You gave a gift to him. You didn't expect anything back. You just wanted oh, to do no, something just, for him. Of course, yeah. Yeah, that's such a cool That's story. the thing, you know, if I get, when I, I give advice to young performers, it's like, it's so hard. It's easy to say, but if you can somehow practice going in, showing up, doing the best that you can, and don't have an attachment to the outcome, mm-hmm. just go out, go in there, do your best, and be okay and happy with it and proud of yourself for doing that. Yeah. Do, if, when you have an attachment to the outcome, it becomes more devastating when, the, when you yes. hear no. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think you're right. That's such a good piece of advice because people are always imagining the outcome. And, you know, I think s- sometimes the vision boards, I think, have failed people because it's like you have this vision board, right? You just keep thinking about the outcome. Well, sometimes the universe and the man above <laughs> or woman above has different plans. But yeah. it's, like, it's like I always said, you know, the, least, the path of least resistance, I'm going down it and I'm going to make it the best that I possibly yeah, can. Yeah, and it's all about the process. You embrace the process. That way you can be present instead of thinking, but what if I fail? What if I don't make it? What if I don't do this move right? What if they say no? I mean, for you, no isn't devastating because we've already said no. Is- I'm, 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 I'm human like everyone else. <laughs> it, I'm not going to say it never affects me. Of course it does. But I've learned through wisdom and experience to 
not pay attention to what naysayers say. Mm-hmm. Believe in yourself. When you read criticism, take the nuggets of of things that resonate, ring true a little bit, mm-hmm. may not feel good, go mm-hmm. back and read it again and work on that, that of what you can improve. And, you know, mm-hmm. no is no, but no is not the end of the world. And no. you know what? What's the worst you can do is fall down on your butt. And I always say, well, I've made a career out of doing that and getting back up again. Yep. And again, I, I think that is just so important for people to know. Sometimes in that critique, I mean, some of it's just unfair. Who cares? But some of it, if there's any nugget that you can learn from, 100%. it's like you say thank you to that. You're like, hey, you pointed out something yeah, that I may can not do feel great, but no. you know what? There's some truth to it, and I'm no. going to work on that. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm a professor, and I do that sometimes with my reviews. My students submit their reviews. I go and look at it, and the first time, I'm like, ooh, like I didn't like certain comments. But I do the same thing that you do. I, I kind of step away for a few days, and then I go back and I say, you know what? That that critique is fair. I can do do it differently the next time, right? But Absolutely. when you first see it, though. It's kind of devastating. It is. It well, hurts. It, it, we're human beings. I mean, yeah. we're, no one's creatures. immune to, to, to being criticized or, or facing rejection. It's just what you do with it. Yeah. I just think it's like you got to keep moving forward. Yeah. Just got to keep moving it's forward. It's true. Well, and speaking of rejections, you were a judge on American Idol, one of the original judges, and you had to reject a lot of people, but you always were so kind to everybody. At the same time, you gave valuable advice, but you also pretty much told every single contestant something positive that they did too. They had to have something positive to even make it on the show at at the stages that they were on. If you made it to the top 20, that was out of 10s and 20s and 50,000 people that were vying for those spots. So it's their talent that got them there. Yeah. And you know what? It's like, it's the yin and yang. Simon was the disapproving dad. I was the (laughs) nurturing mom. And Randy was the cool brother. Yeah. (laughs) So true. You guys all had your roles. And you recently just reunited with them as well. So how was that? And it felt so good. Did it? People are obsessed still, I think, with your relationship with Simon. People are still talking about it. I guess Forever and ever. I know. And I guess recently Simon said something like, oh, there was sexual tension, but it was mostly Paula and it wasn't me. I mean, when you hear that kind of stuff, do you just, you're like, shut up. I became so used to it that was like, come up with another line here. Yeah. I want you so bad, Simon. Yes, I want you so bad. Did that ever cross your mind? No. little? Okay. (laughs) Not even for a Not nanosecond. Not even a tiny bit. No. No sexual attraction whatsoever. No, I mean, I, I, I love him like a brother. I don't have brothers, but I learned what it's like to have them oh. between me being the yes, only girl. Yes, you did. Um, but uh, no. No, you no, know what? No, I think no. that's projection. As a psychologist, when people say stuff like that, I'm like, no, that's how you feel. So I think the real story. He's like is a, that he's Simon. like the little boy in the, the boy in school that hits he's you. He's the girl that he you likes. And, yeah, yeah. That, I think that's that was. But it you too. know, we, you know, I learned how to to spar with him, and that's when it became very, very, very fun for me. Oh, it's fun. I mean, we all tuned in every day just to see. You can't that. recreate that magic. It just was like yeah. it wasn't like ooh, careful select selection process. No, it came together so quickly, and it just worked. Yeah, and after American Idol, you also judged a bunch of other shows. So how do you feel like that phase of your career happened? I mean, was it intentional, or did you kind of hop into it and just started doing Well, I've always been a teacher Mm -hmm. from being a choreographer and working with directors and producers and talent. um, It's just a natural fit for me. 
but I've I've never would be called a judge because uh -huh. I'm more of a mentor, right, and and cheerleader for people than judge has like judging. a negative connotation. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, who am I to judge? That's how I always felt. But <laughs> if I can get help, mentor and help um, guide people in a way to get them to the best possible success, that that was great great for me. Yeah. And I didn't know I'd be fighting my own battles with the guy next to me. I have permanent brain damage on the left side of my brain, and it has a British accent <laughs> for the rest of my life. What's one of your most memorable experiences in all of the judging that you did on all the different shows? Oh, well, it has to be on? American Idol. There were so many experiences. But what people didn't realize until, until way, 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 way later is literally while I'm trying to formulate a critique that allows the contestant to walk off the stage with grace and dignity. Yeah. This is what would be going on in live shows. As during the performances live, he'd be going, oh, I bet you're trying to figure out what you're going to say. You're boring, Paula. You're so boring. Oh. It, like, and he would be doing that. And then, oh. it, then I'm like, shut up. And then, and then the cameras <laughs> catch me going, and him right. going, laughing. <laughs> and, then, and then Ryan goes to Randy to start his critique. And while Randy's doing his critique, critique. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to say. He's going, you're boring, you're boring. Say that the moth that finds a melon ball inside of a wonton will win. I go, what? <laughs> the moth that finds a melon ball. And then Ryan goes, wow. what's going on here? I'm right. Going, like what's happening? And I'm like a deer caught in headlights. And I'm like, he, he won't stop me saying right. a moth that finds a wonton. No, melon ball. Melon ball and a wonton oh will win. Oh my gosh. And the audience is cracking up. Little do I know that the camera's on Simon going like this. And taking his Coca-Cola cup and going, bleh, bleh, bleh. wow, yeah, yeah, that Simon, changed my life. That's very classy of Simon. Oh, he <laughs> that, he lived for pulling pranks on me. Oh yeah, I, I bet he. And the next thing you know, next he's obsessed with you. Obviously, no, next thing you know, missiles are coming. Paul is crazy on that show. She doesn't even know what like. And I'm going, I'm going to kill you. Literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you imagine it sometimes, like how you might kill him? Oh, I plotted. Oh, yeah. I, I had so many different <laughs> plots and plans. He's just right there, you know. You know, you I can wish just those spiked shoes that came out like after I was a judge with the with those Louboutins with those spikes. I mean, I would have been kicking him under the table like you can't oh, imagine. Oh, my gosh. We had fun, though. Yeah, you guys, you guys did. You guys seemed like you had fun. I mean, even though sometimes it felt like it was mean spirited, but you could always see that there was. Oh, it love was mean spirited, <laughs> and it was, it was, it was, it was brutal at times. Yeah, but and then the contestants just standing right there sometimes. They're right, like, like um, what do is I it do not now? about me or exactly? <laughs> but it was it it was an incredible experience. Ah, oh, I know your family is so important to you, and they taught you the values that you have. I mean, everything that you're saying, I think that came from your family, from your parents? What kind of values did they instill in you? You know, my mom My mom was more of the tough love because she she was an artist herself. She mm -hmm. knew what it was like in being in Hollywood and working for some of the most, you know, celebrated studio heads. And she saw rejection all the time. And she just, she was protective in the way of just saying, come on, I don't want to see you going through that. And my dad was more of that, honey, you can do whatever you want to do. Just have passion. And uh, you know what? Mm. The worst thing that happens is someone says no, and you figure out a different way or a different passion. But just mm -hmm. just do you. And, you know, I was, I ha had the balance of both great parents that, that I, and, and a sister, an older sister, my sister Wendy, who I worshipped. And, um, you know, 
I was really grateful. I had a really good family and great friends. Um, yeah. But my but family instilled in me, never give up and yeah. stick with it and be the best you can be. And yeah. that was always really important for me. It taught me a lot. Yeah. And um, Yeah, I mean, you're living such a healthy lifestyle. And I think that obviously helps. And again, you're just your hard work. How do you prep for your shows? Well, it's when I'm getting ready and I know I'm going to be performing, um, it starts with paying attention to my body because, you know, I've endured and sustained so many injuries and Mm -hmm. um, your body changes and the injuries start creating acidity in your body. And I can't take, um, I can't take my body for granted. I Mm -hmm. have to spend extra time and really commit to warming up my body, stretching, muscle conditioning. Um, I do Pilates, I do free weights, I do band resistance. But I also then have to really pay attention to endurance and mm. cardiovascular. So once I get my body gearing up, then I, I really get intense with the cardio because my show's two hours long. Mm-hmm. And I think factor in the fact that I'm probably on stage an hour and 50 minutes of the two hours. Wow. Combining that with less than 30 to 45 second costume changes it's, <laughs> People it's, just ripping stuff I don't know off what's of you more, and throwing. I don't know what's more nerve-wracking, the actual yeah. <laughs> being on stage or the quick change room. Oh, my gosh. Because it's like you start panicking if you are if you know your cue's coming out. Right. And, you're hearing it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm hoping that sound is hearing me. I'm not ready yet. Put oh. a loop in there. Oh, <laughs> you my know? gosh. Um, yeah, it's, it's nerve-wracking, but it's so exciting. And, um, yeah, it's just really being mindful and consistent and um, being repetitive and knowing yeah. that that's what it's going to take in order to do the best that I can do. As a woman who's trying to age gracefully, and I'm trying to navigate all these different aesthetic treatments and lasers mm-hmm. out there, that I actually found a company that I love, and I did my due diligence, did my homework. Did your research. Well, well like trying to navigate new laser techniques and different aesthetic procedures, it's like going to Disneyland for the first day and trying to figure out what ride are you going to go on? Which one should I do? There's so many now. But first of all, you look amazing. You look gorgeous. Thank you. You're in such great shape. I mean, you literally look like you haven't aged. Well. But you said you found some secrets. So tell us your secrets because everybody wants to know. I live, I try to live a healthy lifestyle. I, I, you know, I try to eat healthy and treat my body right and and drinking alkaline water. Drinking alkaline water, <laughs> which is amazing, um, especially for injuries. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I was. I wanted to find. I wanted to try doing some laser treatments. And I find that being in this business, a lot of women don't share the, who they go to or what procedure. Well, they don't talk about it, or they pretend or they, they didn't do anything. Or well, you know. and that, that that created a stigma. But yeah. God bless the Kardashians. And thank God, because they moved the needle and started having these aesthetic treatments on television. And 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 what's great is it's educating women what's out there, and mm-hmm. you know, and they're they're doing it on themselves, and it's destigmatized. You know, a, a lot of what women feel and go through, and yeah. I think that's incredible. And so I started researching on on my own and looking at before and after pictures and. Um, InMode was a company that I thought, listen, I don't have downtime. Mm-hmm. So it's 
so it's like almost non-invasive. It's, it's so minimal. And the downtime, I was out walking in the street the next day. Um, I did this, that one of their uh, laser uh, procedures called uh, face tight. And it's a laser that radio frequency because I wanted a smoother jawline. And I tried this other procedure called body tight, which is the same thing, but it just, it, it tightens specific areas of your body. And I wanted to do it on my triceps because I've always wanted more defined triceps. Who doesn't? It's well, a big one for girls. For and you know, and I work out a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's it, hard to get to it's, that though. It, it's hard. Said, and and as you get older, gravity takes mm, takes its lovely position. That's awesome. Yes. Well, you sound like you have a lot of patience because with as other people. About- <laughs> I have great patience with other people, with myself. No. <laughs> you sound like you're very kind to your body. You're very patient to your body too. You're listening to your body. You're talking to your body. Well, yes, I have I have meditations before every performance and I stare at my legs and I go. All right, don't fail me. You cannot fail me. <laughs> it's going to work tonight. We're going to give it our all. You have a mind of your own. You're going to do like I give pep talks because yeah. um you know, the older the older you get and and things like like arthritis and yeah. and inflammation and it's like da- dancers, gymnasts, athletes, they start you start developing that at you know, during the prime of what you're doing. So it's it's accumulative. And mm-hmm. then you have injury on top of that. It's just being as nice as you can and being yep. on your own side. Yeah. But um because of being so regimented in training as I was, you know, growing up, mm-hmm. when I'm not able to be I'm not as flexible as I used to be. Um I suffered so many injuries that that really didn't allow for me to have that same flexibility, I had to really learn how to accept where I am. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same, and I can't be chasing or even try to attempt to chase what I did before. Mm-hmm. I have to reinvent what I do now. But I always will have the have the influence of what I've been doing most of my life, which is being a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, choreographing, amazing artists and and companies and you know to this day I still teach master classes uh this past summer both Derek Huff and I did a whole series of conventions around the country teaching thousands and thousands of unbelievable dancers um so that keeps me really um grounded and and patient and (laughs) it's like I've always had the mentality if you stay a student it's the gift that keeps on giving because yes. if I stay a student, then then I become a teacher mm-hmm. and then I revert back to being a student and it's it's continuous and yeah. I'm never done learning, you know. It's a beautiful cycle. When you're a lifelong learner, you just keep learning. You develop more skill sets. You make more connections. More connections and, and you find different passions and mm-hmm. things that you never, avenues that you go down that you never anticipated. And, and one yeah. thing that... Like the coolest thing that I always think I always always liken it to, okay, dancer, body, pain. Like like two of the most vulnerable places for any human being to be is A, in front of a mirror, because you have to face yourself. Mm-hmm. And B, behind a microphone because your voice is gonna be heard. Yeah. And the fact that I made careers out of those two most vulnerable vulnerable places is no mistake. Mm-hmm. There's something inside of me that said, "Well, I'll be damned." You know what? 
I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep getting up. And and for me, if you if you're able to take a look at that and not be afraid and to keep moving forward, something good is going to happen. The odds are going to be in your favor. And yes, you know. Yeah, don't ever quit, you know, because something will happen if you keep at it. And with your with the thing, it's like people when I equate rejection or negativity as something that's painful yeah. or when my body is in pain. What's yeah. the first thing you do when something's uncomfortable or pain or rejection? You try to run away from it. Yep. But I learned if you lean into the pain, yeah, the pain goes away a lot faster than you think. Oh my gosh, you're speaking to me so much right now because that's what I teach people all the time. It's I say so true. the more that you struggle with the pain and the more that you try to push it away, it sticks around and it intensifies. I, but if it, you just say, I say cool. le- like, learn to get comfortable in the uncomfortable. Oh, I love that. I need to put a lot of your sayings on big <laughs> posters. I feel like like real true motivational quotes. I mean, your tenacity. I mean, that's really what I want to talk about because my podcast is called The Supercharged Life. And people want to know how does Paula Abdul supercharge her life? And you've shared so many great tips today. But I feel like one really common theme is this concept of tenacity and grit that when somebody says no to you, you just find another way and you keep going. So what kind of tips can you tell our listeners who are saying, I want some of that? Because you're not born with it. It's something that you you develop oh, I over definitely time. Was, I would, like, like I said, I was born premature, like with with no reason or, or like why would I ever become who I, I am? Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's always been belief in yourself, even when others don't. Mm-hmm. And and. I was always like a tenacious little bug. I just was. I mean, mm-hmm. I had to be. I was I was a survivor and then turned being a survivor into thriving because mm-hmm. I was proving to myself if I stick to it and if I get myself out of bed and not be afraid to show up, the worst that can happen is I'm told no or I make a fool out of myself and I get embarrassed and fall on my butt. But you got to get back up again. Yeah, and you got to keep moving forward because the alternative is not a, not a healthy place to be. Right. So I think some of the things, just to sum it up, you know, don't be so attached to the outcomes. Yep. Don't be afraid of the no's. Don't be afraid of fall. You just get up just again. Just do it. Find your passion, and then when something does happen where you feel like it was a fail or a mistake, thank you and learn. So say thank you. And then what and can be I grateful. learn from you? Yeah. You are an inspirational person. Thank you for making my personal dream come true today. It's been You're lovely getting to it's, know you. It's lovely getting to know you too. <laughs> I heard I heard some story that you were on. This was like during the time American Idol was yes. about starting. You were on a, a, a fame. Yes, with Debbie Allen. Unbelievable. <laughs> do you know, that was like my, like, all I ever wanted to do is be on fame. Oh my gosh. Well, we were. I have a very embarrassing story too. I kept making it because I think it was Ken Ehrlich was one of the producers, and I kept making it like on open calls. I was, I, I was not even choreographer yet, and I kept <laughs> making it, making. It. And then it was getting down to like narrowing down to there were like fifteen people left, and then Debbie mm-hmm. Allen said, "Or how many of you can do gymnastics? How many can do a roundup back handspring?" and I raised my hand. I've never done that in my entire <laughs> life. I swear oh to God. Never. This is a theme with you. But <laughs> I literally went into the bathroom, sat on the toilet, and prayed to God, come on, God, I believe I can do it. I know if you help me, I can do it. All I know is I ended up with my feet over my head, 
up against the wall. And my best friend, Patty, who went with me, was laughing so hard she peed in her pants. That's when, <laughs> and one day I had enough courage when I became the Laker girl and choreographer. She got married to Norm Nixon, one of the Lakers, and she came to, to congratulate me on the work I did with Janet. And I proceeded to tell her, do you have any recall during auditions? She goes, oh, child, you are ridiculous. <laughs> and she was like, oh, my God. I, yep. Yes. Oh, I love it. Oh, my gosh. You have so many stories. I wish I could talk to you all day. But where can people find you online or in person? What are you up to? Uh, it's like it, as predictable as can be at Paula Abdul. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know. But you make know, sure I, you follow the one with a blue check mark because, yeah, you know, there's yes, some imposters. Yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> not Paula, not not Julie Apple or right. PJ Apple. Or PJ Apple just, or Paul Abdul, number one. Or, or Paul Abdul Jabbar. No, yeah. it's just Paul Abdul. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank, thank you. you so much for coming. And for all you listeners out there, thanks for tuning in today for this really special guest. Remember to subscribe, download, and listen, and we'll see you next time. You're wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. And if you like the show and want to learn more, follow the podcast and check me out at Dr. Judy Hope. Remember to subscribe, download, and tell your friends and take a moment to leave a review. It'll mean so much to me. I'm Dr. Judy. And remember, anytime is a great time to supercharge your life.